Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Hope you're having a good day, getting ready for the big holiday, and we hope that it'll be a very safe holiday for you. Please be very, very careful. Here on our program today, we are going to talk about what's in both the House and Senate farm bills when it comes to national health care. And we'll talk with Diane Kalmus with the National Rural Health Association as we look to a conference committee and getting a final bill and hopefully some uh, real meaningful assistance for uh, rural health care. Tom Slate will join us, president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. We're going to talk about these trade tensions, the the tariffs, what impacts already being felt, what's the future damage that could be felt. Tom will give us an update on what he's hearing from our customers around the world. And Sean Haney from Real Agriculture in Canada joins us to give us a Canadian perspective on what's going on with trade, with NAFTA in particular. And, uh, you know, we're hearing now President Trump saying may wait to uh, have the November midterm elections here. So what does that mean? Is everything on hold in the meantime? How does Canada feel about that? We'll get a Canadian perspective a little bit later on. But right now we are joined by our good friend John Jenkinson. You see him on RFD TV. John uh, hails from Western Kansas. John, good to talk with you. How are things back home? Uh, first of all, weather-wise, back in Western Kansas. You know, Mike, thank you very much. It's good to be on with you. Uh, last weekend when I was home, we had had some rain about a week and a half ago. Uh, most of western Kansas, uh, parts of the Oklahoma Panhandle, got anywhere from three inches on up to five inches in a in a pretty good rain. And uh, so things were actually turning green again there for a while. A lot of the road ditches and, and yards and pastures were still pretty pretty dry and brown and crusty, but we have had some moisture, and that certainly brought on the, the uh, fall crop progress. It kind of hindered harvest a little bit, but uh, harvest didn't take too long this year. I was going to ask you, tell us about uh, wheat harvest. Real spotty, Mike. Uh, it just depends on where you got a little bit of moisture. Even as little as a half inch of moisture really made a big difference in yield this year. Uh, we were hearing anything from well, 20 bushels per acre uh, all the way up to 40, 45 bushels per acre in some areas. And so it just kind of depended on where you where you stood, what time the planting was. Everything was very, very critical this year, how much fertilizer you put on, when you planted it, uh, whether or not you got a little shower or not. So there were some good yields, there were some not go- so good yields. But I have heard that this year overall the protein content was much better than it has been in the past. And I know that a lot of the grain merchandisers were blending some of this good protein wheat with some of the uh, wheat from last year to try to up the protein level. Mm-hmm. Now, how do your uh, corn and soybean crops look? Right now, everything looks pretty good. We've had a little bit of moisture. We've had some heat units. The corn is not tasseling yet in most of southwest Kansas. Uh, but it should be probably by late this weekend, maybe early part of next week. Uh, it got off to a little bit of a slower start. Some of the planting was delayed just a little bit in some areas. Just because it was so dry, uh, a lot of folks had to irrigate, pre-irrigate, before they could even plant, and then they had to put on the water after they planted. So some of that stuff was just a little bit late, but it is progressing nicely. There's been plenty of heat units. 
Um, cotton acres are sharply higher this year just because of the uh, potential return and, the, of course, the investment. Yeah, big change. Do you have many soybeans in western Kansas? You know, there are, and we don't see as many soybeans now as we did about 10 years ago, but there's still several fields of soybeans, uh, particularly soybeans behind wheat. Uh, one of the rotations have, that some producers have really uh, embraced is the fact they can grow seed wheat on irrigation uh, for, for certified seed, pull that off, and then go back with a double crop of soybeans. And so in some cases in a rotation, that has worked pretty well. So uh, not as many as we saw a decade ago, but still uh, a few soybeans. What about sorghum? Sorghum this year, I think uh, some of the acres are, are down just a little bit. Part of the issue, of course, was cotton. Cotton took over a lot of mm-hmm. acres that could have gone to sorghum. Uh, cotton obviously had a little better return on investment earlier on in the year with some of the pricing points. Uh, sorghum, though, still is very predominant in western Kansas. Uh, the problem this year was we just didn't have a very wet spring. And so there was some, some folks that held off with sorghum. Some of the failed wheat acres actually are going back to sorghum as we speak in some areas. That's, uh, that's always an option. Um, but uh, uh, I suppose overall, if you took the western third of Kansas, those sorghum acres are probably about the same that they have been. We're talking with John Jenkinson with RFD-TV. He uh, hails from western Kansas and uh, just trying to get a kind of a, a feel of the pulse of things in that part of the country. John, if, you, if, there, if farmers are not talking about weather and crop conditions right now, what are the other big topics of conversation in the coffee shop? Trade and policy. Those, those are the two things. Uh, everybody that I've had the opportunity to talk to on the weekends when I'm home is uh, they're, they're a little bit concerned about trade. They still believe that there's going to be some kind of an agreement. Um, so many of the producers that I talk to uh, on a regular basis are just, uh, they're, they're really progressive producers. Uh, you know, back when, uh, when prices were a little bit better a month, month and a half ago, they had already had some of this crop priced. Uh, they were hedged a little bit. So, yeah, they understand that uh, the trade is an issue. But uh, they've, they've protected themselves with price insurance to make sure that uh, they can still come out this year ahead. Um, farm policy a little bit, uh, the farm bill, the, everything that they've seen and heard, they tell me, uh, out of Washington, D.C., they're happy with what's in the farm bill. Some of the cattle producers uh, say that they like the House version better than the Senate version just because of some of the provisions in there that help cattle producers. But... Um, uh, otherwise, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot about the weather and whether or not things are going to, to, to be able to uh, pull off another good year. I know there was a wide strip of hail, particularly in northwest Kansas, that uh, really affected a lot of crops from Burlington, Colorado, all the way east to Oakley, Kansas, and then through that Goodland, Kansas area. And so uh, crop insurance is probably the biggest topic when it comes to that farm bill and how important it is. Well, we'll let you get back to work. Uh, right now, kind of tough, isn't it, every day to come do the markets uh, on RFD TV the way the markets have been? <laughs> yeah, we're we're always supposed to be smiling, but sometimes it's kind of hard to smile about what's going on with some of the prices. But you got to remember, uh, uh, there's always two sides to every <laughs> every market. But uh, uh, we we uh, we continue to keep up on it, and uh, we appreciate the work that you do, Mike. You do a good job. 
and I know that a lot of folks would agree with me when uh, when we say that we really appreciate all that you do. So keep it up. Well, thanks, John, and we'll be watching you on RFD TV. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. Have a good day and a uh, happy Fourth of July. You as well. Thank you very much, John Jenkinson from RFD. TV. All right, a little bit later in the program, we'll talk markets with Tom Slate, president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. Find out what he's hearing from our customers around the world, especially with all these tariffs and trade tensions. Sean Haney from Real Agriculture up in Canada will be joining us to talk about NAFTA. But next, what's in the two farm bills, both the House and Senate bills, when it comes to national rural health issues and what will the national rural health association be pushing for in a final bill we'll find out next on aoa adams on agriculture thanks for listening to adams on agriculture from the american ag network we're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture The Farm Bill, Immigration Reform, Reducing Regulations, Trade, New Technology, as well as Infrastructure and Health Care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, 
the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DMA 0031. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we know that health care is a real challenge in many parts of rural America, not only affordability, but also availability. And we keep a close watch on uh, the farm bill to see what's in there that could help the situation. Joining us now is Diane Kalmus. She's government affairs and policy manager for the National Rural Health Association. Diane, thanks for joining us again. Now that we have a House bill and a Senate bill, uh, kind of give us a look at both of them and what's, what are the things you're pushing for in a final bill when it comes to rural health care. Well, thanks so much for having me again. Um, there are a lot of great things in both of these bills, and we have a lot with this going to a conference committee. We have the opportunity to take the good things from the House bill and the good things from the Senate bill and hopefully get them put together. So the House bill starts out really strong. There is a whole section in this bill for rural health care, which demonstrates that the House recognized this area of health care as a really important um, farm bill provision and this is something we haven't seen before so that's a wonderful thing that we would love to see um, them keep in the final bill having a section separated and calling it health care um, additionally they have some set-asides for health care um, in the case of an emergency declaration this really is looking towards the opioid crisis but this is designed to be a little more flexible um, depending on what things change. And this would be a set-aside in the telehealth program um, to prioritize what is an emergency in healthcare right now. Um, additionally, we saw Jody Arrington of Texas put forth a wonderful amendment that would allow rural hospitals to include within a USDA-guaranteed loan um, a refinancing of their debt, and that would be a great opportunity for some rural hospitals to get into these USDA loans, um, and we're really pleased to see that. Um, additionally, and this is in both the House and the Senate version, we have the Farmer and Rancher Stress Assistance Network. Um, as we know, a lot of uh, rural areas lack resources for mental health, um, and this is, an, this is a way to connect um, farmers and ranchers with resources um, through peer support with others in, in other communities um, and really kind of fill some of that gap. Um, now moving over to the Senate bill, we see them having some different provisions in there. So the Senate, um, again, has the strong telehealth pr provision, but it also includes a set-aside that is specific for the opioid crisis. Um, additionally, there is a rural health liaison position is created through the Senate's Farm Bill. Um, and what the idea here is there are health care programs in the USDA and there are health programs in Health and Human Services. Um, and we want to best utilize those resources and make sure that those two departments are talking. So there are telehealth programs, there are telestroke programs, both in the USDA and in HRSA um, at HHS, and right now there's no connection for them to be talking. So those two programs are working on the same issue, um, but not really 
talking and, and getting the most out of it. And so having this liaison position allows those two departments to really meet together and utilize that money to the best of their advantage. So those are really the highlights in the House and the Senate bill. Um, and we've been working really hard to let both the House and the Senate know what's in the other's bill um, to work towards that conference committee. We expect that um, the conferees, and that's going to be members from both the House and the Senate that come together and they write one consolidated bill, and then that bill goes back to the House and the Senate before it then goes on to the president. Um, and so we're working with both the House and the Senate to get really strong support for these provisions to make sure that they're included in the final bill. And I would, I would guess the fact that there are strong components for health care in both bills, that certainly helps the chances of there being something in there to help rural health care in the final bill. Absolutely. And we have strong support in both the House and the Senate uh, by members that represent rural areas and recognize just how important health care is. As I said, the House bill has an entire section that is devoted to health care in their, in their bill. Um, and that really demonstrates how important they recognize that health care is to a rural area. I know there's some uh, bills as well that uh, have been uh, offered up to address emergency medical services in rural areas, ambulance services. Uh, can you give us uh, any update on on that and 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 maybe a, an overview of the of the need in rural America? Absolutely. So there is in the Senate version of this, there's a reauthorization of an existing grant program for rural EMS, and these can be used for a variety of needs. Um, anything from training to purchasing certain supplies to purchasing a new ambulance. Um, these are existing grant programs that would then be extended through the Farm Bill. These are actually run through HHS, um, and those were added in the Senate version. Um, it's really important to have rural EMS, especially we've had, unfortunately, um, a rash of rural hospital closures. Um, we have had 85 rural hospitals closing um, since 2010, and unfortunately, um, in addition to areas that never had a hospital to begin with, this is reducing the number of areas that have a hospital. And we all know that in an, a lot of emergencies, time matters. If you're having a stroke, if you're having a heart attack, if you're losing blood in a trauma situation, the quicker you can receive care, the better. And rural EMS becomes an essential component of that when the hospital is further away. And so these grants are so important to make sure that communities, whether they have a hospital or not, have the resources to get people care and get them to where they need to be quickly. We're talking with Diane Kalmus with the National Rural Health Association. You know, Diane, we've not talked much lately about, uh, you know, overhauls to the health care system and, and the concerns about affordability as well as availability of, of health care. But that, that remains a challenge, doesn't it? Absolutely. That's always a challenge. Um, and particularly in, in rural America where so many people have jobs that are multiple jobs that come together to create full-time hours, but doesn't necessarily mean that they have a position that provides benefits. Um, and so having options for purchasing health insurance is essential. Um, additionally, because there are fewer providers, there are also fewer options 
for those living in rural areas, which means that each of those providers is an essential component of that network, making sure that we're getting to accessibility and that we're getting to affordability. And so making all of those pieces work together and finding the best options for everyone in the community um, is really important and always a challenge in rural America. I think you mentioned was 85 rural hospitals have closed in the last several years. Uh, how, how many more would you say are are perhaps near closure? I mean, having financial struggles. Absolutely. So a third of all rural hospitals, unfortunately, are at risk of closure. Um, and that means that their financial situations are the same or worse than those hospitals that have already closed. 44 percent of rural hospitals are currently operating at a loss, and this is up from 40 percent last year. We are absolutely going in the wrong direction um, when we look at this trajectory, and it's very, very concerning for continued access. Well, those kind of numbers would tend sound to me like a, a, a national crisis for rural health care. Absolutely. This is really a closure crisis, and unfortunately, where we're seeing these closures is where those facilities are needed the most. They're serving patient populations that are older and sicker and poorer. They're serving farm communities where trauma care is so essential. Unfortunately, 60% of trauma deaths happen in rural America. It is so essential that we have these resources available locally um, within our rural areas. Now, I know it's a challenge to like get doctors into some of these small communities. And I would get, is this a kind of a, you know, are they connected? I, I would think it's hard to get a doctor into a community if there's not a hospital facility somewhere close to. Do the, are those related? Absolutely. It's always a challenge to find the right health care providers for rural areas. And I say health care providers because it's not just about doctors. It's about nurse practitioners and physicians assistants that provide these essential care in rural areas. And they're excellent providers, and they provide these really necessary services. But it's about finding the right provider that really does understand the rural community, want to be there. But they have to have the place to practice, and they have to have the ability to do that. And when the rural hospitals can't make make it in the rural areas, oftentimes we see the providers also leave because a lot of their care is provided through that hospital setting. A lot of critical issues for sure. Hopefully some help coming in the Farm Bill. Diane, thank you for being with us for the update. Thank you so much. All right. We'll talk again when they get to the final bill. Appreciate it. Diane Kalmus, Government Affairs Policy Manager for the National Rural Health Association. All right. Next, we talk trade with Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. What are our customers around the world saying about uh, these tariffs and trade tensions that are going on? What's being done to deal with them and keep our products, our ag products, moving into these markets? We'll talk about it next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. 
If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed so if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep call now for prices and information and then decide when you see how little they cost discover craftmatic for less up to 50 percent less than today's leading memory foam brand call 1-800-318-7903 that's 1-800-318-7903 1-800-318-7903 call now Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Corn and wheat futures rising on this Tuesday. Soybean futures have been mixed, as analysts expect many traders to wait on the sidelines given the 4th of July holiday breaking up the trading week. Thins out volume makes it easier to manipulate prices. Also, global politics keeping some traders at bay. China plans to impose tariffs on U.S. soybeans later on this week. Despite another week of scattered reports of flood and hail damage to crops, overall national good-to-excellent condition ratings for corn and soybeans fell only slightly last week. New crop December corn skidded to a new contract low on Monday in the wake of a sizzling weekend in the Midwest. The recent consolidation phase said to be short-lived, corn bulls failing to gain much traction to the upside. On the downside, the 350 level is psychological support for new crop December corn, hovering around 366 an hour into the trading day on this Tuesday. November soybeans initial chart resistance lies at 899. On the downside, bears closing in on a test of a major chart objective at 864 and a half. That'd be the low from June 19th. In the wheat futures, trending 9 to 13 higher in the winter wheats of Chicago, Kansas City, an hour into the day, 7 to 8 and a half cents higher in Minneapolis spring wheat. Live cattle futures trending 17 to 75 cents higher. Feeder cattle a nickel to 40 cents better. Bids and asking prices in the cash not expected to be well defined until after the July 4th break. In lean hog futures trending 70 to a dollar 82 higher in the nearbys. The Dow is up 80 points. S&P 500 up six. Crude oil is up 12. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. 
Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, as we head into this 4th of July holiday, a lot of talk about trade looking ahead to Friday, July 6th, and the the situation with China and tariffs. And let's get an update from Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. Tom, thanks for joining us. You kind of just feel that clock ticking uh, towards more tariffs. Yeah, Mike, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, we just sort of feel a sense of uh, being in limbo right now. For, for now, next couple of days, uh, you know, a lot of uncertainty in the marketplace. What are you hearing from your folks on the ground in China? Yeah, same sort of thing. Uh, you know, buyers are uncertain to stick their necks out. Uh, you know, lots of people looking for alternative sources. Uh, but a piece of good news is we still have a sorghum buyers team uh, fully scheduled to come into the United States here in about uh, 10 days' time. And so no indications of any slowdown with that. So that's some good news to hang on to. That is good news. So if these tariffs and the retaliation, everything goes into place, what does that mean? How I mean, how much harder is it then to sell into China? Uh, it, you know, it just... It adds another element of uh, competition that we have to overcome. Uh, you know, we always talk about winning the ties. Uh, you know, we not, we're not going to be winning too many ties right now. Uh, and so we have to be a lot more competitive. Still, Chinese feed millers like to buy from the United States. We are competitive. If we, if we continue to be competitive, uh, there will be uh, some interest there. But the political will to, to buy and to buy from the United States is pretty strong not to buy from the United States and very, very strong to seek alternative supplies from anybody but the United States. So we turned to being that residual supplier, something that I learned very, very hard about when I, back when I worked in the Soviet Union back in the 80s. So, uh, yeah, we know what that feels like. You know, I made the comment yesterday that usually when prices get low, that makes us attractive to buyers around the world. But when you're fighting with so many of your key buyers, you, you wonder even if low prices are going to attract much in the way of sales. Yeah, you know, we're still hanging in there. You know, low prices are attracting sales uh, to Mexico for sure. We're doing very well there. And, you know, we're really uh, competing extremely well in places like the Middle East and Saudi Arabia. China, there's an edge. There's definitely an edge to seeking alternative supplies. Other places we are pick, picking up volume, but the, you know, for China, you know, we were starting to send some corn shipments in there. Uh, they stopped buying those. They sought alternative origination points. Um, so the politics is really starting to drive that market, and you know, you kind of have to keep your eye on Mexico too. Yeah, because politics uh, taking place there for sure with their presidential election. How do you see that impacting NAFTA and trade moving forward with Mexico? I think it just adds another element uh, uh, into a very complex mix of the NAFTA negotiations. Early signs are, are okay. Uh, you know, the Minister of Agriculture selection, a uh, fellow by the name of Victor Villalobos, we've worked before, moderate guy. He's a plant scientist. Um, uh, you know, I think he's interested in working in the United States uh, today, uh, or actually yesterday. Their trade officials said that the new administration did not want to upset the apple cart in terms of uh, changing um, NAFTA stances and current Mexican government stance as regards to NAFTA. That's all very encouraging, Mike. So, you know, we're going to, our folks in Mexico, our Mexico office are going to be watching that like a hawk uh, on a daily basis as the changes 
uh, unfold. But again, yeah, I think what you have in Mexico is a very strong sense of country unity. That's one thing we're seeing between the World Cup experience and then, of course, the outcome of the election. Mexico is standing pretty unified right now, and uh, that's, that's definitely uh, interesting to watch. We're talking with Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. Of course, Tom, President Trump has talked about waiting till after our November elections, midterm elections, before doing anything on NAFTA. But he's also talked about maybe doing a one-on-one deal with Mexico. Yeah, we keep hearing the the one-on-one deals with Mexico and with Canada. Uh, You know, our our, our stance is, well, let's, you know, get something done. Mexico's too doggone important. Again, waiting till November seems like a little risky because a lot of people like to get the NAFTA deal done before the new president in Mexico takes uh, office in uh, early December. So, again, it's just a lot of uncertainty everywhere you turn. You know, uh, you're not really sure the pace of negotiations that they're going on right now. Right now, we don't see much going on. Um, you know, waiting till November worries us, but uh, as long as they keep talking, that's good. So the good news is countries are still buying from us. The concern is uh, loss of market share moving forward. Even if you don't lose all of a market, you can lose a part of a market. And with prices the way they are, even losing a part can be very costly. Yeah, it's a very you know uncertain atmosphere. And again, I'm focusing mainly on the feed grains. When you look at soybeans, again, you're seeing that that impact going right now of moving away from U.S. supplies on soybeans, and, of course, that usually will have an impact on the corn market as well. So just a lot of uncertainty. Every day it's just a very, very, you go into look and see what's going on, and still uncertainty is the main theme. Do you hear from our customers around the the world? Are they constantly asking you questions about what's going on or what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, they ask certain questions, what's going on with U.S. trade policy in general, uh, you know, the World Trade Organization, what's going to happen with that, just sort of uh, the, the U.S. getting more and more protectionist. Uh, we hear that quite uh, frequently. Um, just a lot of questions. You know, a, lot, a lot of people wondering, you know, where, where, what's the, what to expect next uh, in terms of their trade relationship in the United States. We, we hear that uh, almost every day. And I still hear people say, well, they've got to buy from somebody, especially somebody in China with the demand that they have, the people that they have. They've got to buy from somebody. And the, the chances are they're going to have to buy at least some from us. But is that, is that uh, something you can count on, or is that something to, you know, kind of your insurance policy? Of, it seems kind of risky. I think that's true. They will need to buy from someone. So I think the things that we get concerned about is the investment in production in other parts of the world, in the Black Sea, in Brazil, places like that. Investment to increase production, open up new areas for production. I know there's not a whole lot worldwide, but there is some significant areas that can add to uh, production and alternatives, you know, the constantly seeking alternative uh, grain supplies and protein supplies. Uh, that's really ramped up uh, rather than just saying, hey, we've got a nice, great, reliable supply here from the United States that we can count on. Um, now, it's always looking at the alternatives. We've been talking about alternatives uh, for, for a couple of years now. Yeah, these things tend to strengthen our competitors, that's for sure. All right, so if we have a significant drop in market share in some of our key markets, are there other markets out there that we could pick up to pick up the slack? Yeah, Mike, well, that's, of course, what the Grants Council's real focus on is picking up the slack, uh, the folks that, 
work around the world, you know, 24-7, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, they're looking strongly. Uh, we've got some good action going on in Southeast Asia, great uh, opportunities opening up across South Asia, Frontier Asia, which we call it, India, Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh, Myanmar, uh, some, some good opportunities there. Continued growth uh, throughout South America and Latin America. Uh, so we're still there's still strong growth. I mean, we have we cannot uh, ignore that, and that's going to and that's what we're focused on is really looking at areas where we can continue to expand markets, even even some of our loyal developed markets like Japan, Korea, Taiwan. Um, <clears throat> Greatest House is really focusing on those alternative markets right now, uh, you know, you know, all around the world. So uh, that's that's the most important thing. And you're working in those markets, many of them without any trade deals between the U.S. and those countries. Does that help or make it harder? Trade deals always help. They, they, you know, we, we, when we have deals in place, uh, particularly on tariff uh, treatments and phytosanitary barriers, they always do help. Um, so we're, we're both focusing on markets where we do have trade agreements in place uh, and certainly ones where we don't. Uh, some of our latest worries are there's there's talk about looking at uh, renegotiating the Colombia free trade agreement, which has been a huge uh, bonus uh, for U.S. Uh, corn producers. So we're we're watching that one very very closely now too. Hmm. The president recently made the comment that all kinds of countries, many countries, were calling and wanting to do trade deals, but we haven't seen those done yet. Now we keep asking that question, and I guess there's still a lot of interest going on in terms of lists that we know that. You know, the administration is looking on. We don't really know. Uh, you know, Ecuador comes up every now and then. A lot of talk about getting something going in Africa. Uh, we hear that almost every week, but where in Africa? Um, UK, well, that's a fine, but it's not a huge, going to be a huge grain market for us. Uh, other than that, we're not hearing a whole heck of a lot. Japan, Vietnam, but those are farther off. Uh, those governments, um, you know, not quite interested to uh, sit down quite yet. Uh, Cuba came up in the farm bill debate in the Senate. Uh, Senator Rubio had has a lot of concerns there. Are we selling much into Cuba? Not not right now. We're selling a little bit here and there. Uh, you know, we always like to remind people. Still, if we enjoyed a 100 percent market share, Cuba would be at or near one of the top ten importers for corn. Um, but right now, we're not doing a whole heck of a lot there, and and certainly. Um, yeah, we don't really have much optimism for much changing there anytime soon. But we still we still monitor the market. We still uh, try to figure out what's going on and, and keep tabs. That's always important to do in times like this. Other countries sell in there, don't they? They sure do. Uh, yeah, other countries do. Uh, you know, our competitors, European Union, Canada, uh, you know, Brazil, uh, you know, a lot of them sell in there. Uh, we'd sure like a piece of that business, but it, it's it's very complicated right now as everyone knows sounds like yeah it's almost getting more complicated when we thought maybe it was kind of getting less complicated there for a while but now it's gone back all right tom as always thank you for the update we appreciate it we'll talk again mike thanks as always appreciate it bye-bye tom slate president ceo of the u.s grains council all right want to focus more on nafta when we come back have the, uh, the the election in in Mexico. We have the President Trump's comments about waiting till after our elections in November. How's all this playing in Canada? Sean Haney from Real Agriculture joins us next on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
All right, guys. We're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no. We'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache. Or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time you spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota. I have a 10-year warranty. And you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. Get four my pillows for the price of one. That's right. Get four my pillows. Two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order my pillow at 800 871 7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four my pillows for the price of one. Call 800 871 7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to mypillow.com and at checkout, use promo code FARM11. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor or SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. 
I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we continue looking at the trade situation, focusing now on NAFTA. Our friend Sean Haney from Real Agriculture in Canada joining us. Sean, thanks for joining us. Hey, Mike, great to be with you here. Uh, we're, we're finally getting a little bit of rain, so we're, we're, we're happy here in southern Alberta. Well, good for you. But uh, not too happy, I would guess, about the, the pace of the NAFTA negotiations? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a slow crawl is what, the, what it is, you know, and hearing President Trump talk so much about, you know, we're in this for the long term, I think gives a, a agriculture on both sides of the border real reason to be somewhat concerned because, you know, I think he's asking for patience that a lot of us really don't, we're not really sure that we have. We, we've seen the commodity part markets come off so significantly here as of late, and, you know, that that's obviously a major concern for for uh, the U.S. growers, but a lot of our, a lot of the commodities that we're selling in Canada are based off the U.S. futures. So we've got the same kind of concerns here in Canada. So the president said he could sign a deal right now, but it wouldn't be good for the U.S. So he he's thinking about waiting till after our November elections here. How does that play in Canada? For me personally, I'm not surprised at all. I, I think that. What he sees right now is, you know, once we got past that May 17th congressional deadline, a lot of the talk about NAFTA really became about the midterms. And if you look at his uh, his rally speeches that he's done uh, last week in North Dakota, this Thursday he's in Great Falls, Montana, what we can expect to hear is more of the same discussion about NAFTA and about how, you know, this gives him an opportunity to talk about how it's a poor deal and how about uh, how Canada has been taking Canada has been taking advantage of the United States. Similar to the same kind of comments he's been making about the European Union last week when he said the European Union was formed to, to really conspire against the United States. So I'm not, I'm not surprised because this is about politics now. And once we get past the midterms, maybe we can actually look at a NAFTA 2.0 that will make some sense. I, I, I'm not really sure that there is the NAFTA agreement that he talks about that he could just sign today. Uh, he's asking for some for some things that really, honestly, are, are a tough pill to swallow for Canada, one of them being the five-year sunset clause. There have been some comments come out of Canada about maybe it's time to change your dairy policy there. Uh, does, that, does that have any support or, or not? Good question. So I, I think you're alluding to the comments that the uh, Premier of Quebec made. Yes. On, I think it was on Friday on, on Bloomberg TV. 
talking about how maybe Canada does need to make some changes to its Class 7 pricing system to appease the United States. Uh, I've done a few interviews this morning, one of them with uh, Graham Lloyd, the Dairy Farmers of Ontario general manager, basically saying that you know he thought the Premier really didn't necessarily understand the, the system that he was talking about. And, and the reality is, is that in Quebec, he is not going to have a lot of support for, the, for that commentary. Quebec is the largest producer, uh, has the largest amount of dairy farmers in the country. Over 50% of our dairy farmers are from Quebec. So I'm not sure exactly why he made those comments. It really did catch me off guard. It really, really surprised me. Uh, is there traction for change? I, I think there is a national discussion happening what should be the future of supply management uh, and would consumers be better off if, the, if it was removed. I think the thing to, for a lot of people on both sides of the border to keep in mind is I'm not totally convinced, even if Canada said, you know what, you're right. We need to get rid of supply management today. This deal still is not getting done in any short course. So it's one of the irritants, similar to the wheat grading issue. It is definitely not what's holding up this deal. Meanwhile, we've had, they've had the election now in Mexico, and we wait to see how all that uh, plays out with new leadership coming. Uh, President Trump keeps talking about doing a one-on-one deal with Mexico. Does that bother people in Canada? Well, so far, the Canadian government and the Mexican government, the current Mexican government, have really held together. They've turned this multilateral into a bilateral, and, and I think it's been a lot of frustration for the U.S. There, there's a feeling in Canada that if this turns into two bilateral deals, that is advantage United States. Because what's going to happen is you're going to have two bilateral deals with different rules, and from an investment standpoint, you're going to see companies, say from Europe, for example, they're going to say, well, we might as well just invest in the U.S. because we don't want to have to deal with two sets of rules if we invested in Canada or in, or in Mexico. And so it's not getting a lot of positive reaction in Canada, although the Canadian government uh, has admitted that they are studying what a potential bilateral would look like. Uh, I, I don't know. Does it, get us, it, it potentially gets us to a, a quicker deal. But a quicker deal doesn't necessarily mean it's a better deal. And for those of us in agriculture in all three countries, we have really, really enjoyed a very positive uh, economic reality of the current NAFTA. And so I think that a lot of farmers and ranchers should be hoping that we can keep the trilateral together. Well, that's interesting. You think that at least there's a school of thought that the bilaterals uh, would, would benefit the U.S., we haven't seen a lot on that or had much reaction here because we haven't seen many details or what that could look like. So I think a lot of people are just kind of still wondering. Yeah, and, and I think a part of it, too, is, is that what all of this, whether it's a bilateral or it's a multilateral, one of the words that is yet to really come into the discussion is compromise. And, and so until we have some, and, and that's for Canada as well. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is an all-U.S. thing. I think until we can have some sort of compromise across the board on some of these issues, we're not getting any closer to, to a solution. And, and this, the NAFTA 2.0 has been so politicized, and I will put that on President Trump, it's been so politicized that it's really, really difficult for Canada and Mexico to show compromise because then they're looked upon as being weak and looked upon as losing. And, and so that the word compromise has really left these discussions. Until that word comes back, we're going to be in the same spot, Mike, for a while, I think. 
Yeah, compromise is elusive in a lot of places, not just trade, but <laughs> in yeah. our Congress, there's not a lot of that right now. I mean, uh, it, somehow compromise is now taken on a negative connotation, a negative feeling about it. Yeah, compromise is, is associated with, with weakness yeah. and not sticking up for yourself. And I just think that you, you have to have some sort of compromise on some of these issues. Now, everybody has their sacred cows, so to speak. Everybody has some of the things they're not going to bend on, but there has to be some sort of give and take across the board. Uh, right. and, and until we get that, I don't know, we're going to be sitting here in 2019, I think. Well, we'll keep talking about it. Sean, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Mike. You take care. Sean Haney from Real Agriculture in Canada. Well, that does it for today. We'll have a best of tomorrow, looking back at some of our recent stories. Hope you'll join us. Have a great, safe 4th of July, everyone. Thanks for joining us on AOA. AOA.